Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for your first cocktails in the war room after action report on the Mistress Carrie podcast. I told you there was going to be bonus episodes. In case you didn't know, every Tuesday night at 8.30, live on my Facebook page, I host a show called Cocktails in the War Room. Now, the War Room is an actual room in my house. It's filled with military memorabilia from different members of my family and friends in their service, and it's also filled with all of the stuff that I brought back from overseas when I was embedded with troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. On March 14th of 2020, I started going live from the war room to help get me through being quarantined in the house during the coronavirus. We did 81 nights in a row. And now it's a weekly show at 8.30 live on Facebook. And the war room is more than just a show. It's a family. It's a community. It's a place where we all come together, disregard our differences, and help support each other and try and laugh through the craziness that we call life. And we have a cocktail. But you don't need to drink to come into the war room. Sometimes we do mocktails in the war room. And sometimes we call a Temple Tuesday when we enjoy Shirley Temples so we can be more inclusive. Shirley Temples are delicious. And now that the Mistress Carrie podcast is completely established, you get new episodes every Wednesday. And I talk to all kinds of interesting people. But then sometimes... People join us live in the war room. So what I'm going to start doing is taking the audio from those visits in the war room and putting it up on here as a podcast episode, a bonus podcast episode. I want the war room to grow. So you can watch it live on the Mistress Carrie Facebook page every Tuesday night at 8.30 Boston time. But if you can't tune in live, the videos are always posted after the fact on my Facebook page, and on the official Mistress Carrie YouTube channel. And if you miss the special guest that way, you get an after-action report. Now, episode four of the Mistress Carrie podcast featured First Sergeant Retired Jonathan Hill, who is an Army soldier, 
that fought and survived the Battle of Kop Keating in the mountains of Afghanistan on October 3rd, 2009. That battle, that legendary battle, became the subject of a number one New York Times bestseller called The Outpost by Jake Tapper. And just recently, that book was turned into a movie of the same name. So episode four of the Mistress Carrie podcast features First Sergeant Retired Jonathan Hill. And he was amazing. But then the following Tuesday, July 7th, Jonathan Hill and his girlfriend Johnny joined us live in the war room for a cocktail. So for this special Cocktails in the War Room after action report, here's First Sergeant Retired Jonathan Hill and Johnny joining me in the war room. All right, guys, I'm making you live. Everybody in the war room, please welcome the person that uh, was the star of episode number four, the Mistress Carrie podcast, First Sergeant Jonathan Hill retired. And he also talked about his lovely girlfriend, Johnny, in the episode, talking about what a huge source of support she has been. And so uh, John and Johnny are joining us in the war room. What's up, guys? Hi, guys. Hi, everybody. How are you? Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. We're, we're very excited and, and uh, very happy to be here. It's an honor. So you guys yes, are thanks. in Texas, right? That's right. Well, Johnny, I, uh, this is your first time getting grilled behind the microphone with me. John took care of it last week, but thank you for coming in and hanging out with us tonight. Well, thank you for the warm welcome. Very much appreciated. First thing I got to ask, what are you drinking? Because we have cocktails here in the war room. So cheers to you. Yes. Fantastic. (laughs) So I have a comment list that is on my screen that you guys can't see, but it is going so fast that I can't even read it. So thank you to everybody that's joining us live in the war room tonight. They are sending you guys so much love and they are just um, sending so many thank yous, obviously, for your service, John. But um, people that listen to the podcast, people that watch the movie over the weekend, uh, I don't know if you can feel it in Texas, but there's a, a fuck of a lot of love coming your way from the war room tonight. So thank you. That's awesome. And yeah. it's just awesome to be amongst great patriots. So the thanks goes out to all of them. Those are, those are the people that make our country so warm and, and awesome. It's just great to be around people like that. So the thanks goes to all of them. Now, there are a lot of people that listen to the podcast episode, but if there's people joining us in the war room, um, that aren't aware, I just want to recap quickly. Um, I talked about it a little bit in your introduction. You served 21 years in the United States Army. You retired as a first sergeant. But when you were in Afghanistan in the mountains at Cop Keating in 2009, you were a sergeant first class. So I just want to That's make right. sure people don't think I screwed up your rank. I know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> um, no, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Now, the movie that came out, Um, which was directed by Rod Lurie, who is a West Point graduate. The movie was based on the best-selling book by Jake Tapper of the same name, The Outpost. And in the podcast episode, you talked about how Jake Tapper did extensive research and interviewed everybody that he could find to make sure that his book was right. So he interviewed you, right? Of course he did, yeah. He interviewed everybody. He really did a good job. It did his due diligence to get everybody's perspective on what happened and, and, you know, eyewitness accounts from 
the top to the very bottom. So from the major command all the way to the, the young soldier that was in the ditch. So, yeah, he, he interviewed everybody. When I posted up some of the audio clips of the podcast, I was tagging uh, Jake Tapper in them because he's been so active over the last couple of weeks promoting the movie. And he actually Mm -hmm. commented on my Instagram post with the nicest things to say about you because he really holds you in such high regard. So uh, obviously your interview went well. Yeah, I did. Um I try to, you know, I try to be as, as frank and as truthful about everything. Well, I am truthful about everything, but I try to be very frank and upfront about everything. But at the same time, you know, I try to put people that do great things on great platforms and, and you know, keep pushing them forward and moving them forward. And, and I like to highlight those that have done, you know, phenomenal work. And, um, you know, this was an opportunity for the guys that were killed to be highlighted. And if that was the case, then I was, you know, I was all about being interviewed for the book. And, and that was my focus during the interviews was to talk about those guys and how they stood in front of the bullet for all of us so we could continue our lives. One of the things that I was amazed by, because I had not when you and I talked, I had not read the book yet. I ordered it, but it hasn't gotten here yet. And obviously I had not seen the movie, but you guys both went to the screening. Can you just talk a little bit, because you had to travel. The, the screening was in D.C., right? Can you just talk a little bit about what it was like actually going to the screening? Well, for me, it was a little bit nerve-wracking because the uh, I was in a room full of uh, Gold Star families who watched this movie in, in, in private because, you know, it was probably a little easier for them to be amongst other Gold Star families to watch this film because they're obviously they're watching um, how their loved one was killed. So it, it, and how, you know, things were for everybody else that was there. And, and that was the most nerve wracking. That was probably one of the hardest things I've done uh, in, in a long time, you know, talking to someone that was in talking to a gold star family of a guy that was in your platoon, who I consider all of my, the people I served with family, confronting them and and embracing them is a very hard thing to do. But then to sit in a theater and and share that moment with them was was very very difficult. For me, it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, you know, that because I know John and um, I love John. I knew I was going to see the things that he had told me and scenes he hadn't yet told me. And so watching the movie, um, I don't think I breathed for two hours. I held on white knuckled to the seat. I never sat back and relaxed um, because of all the things that he was, he's saying it, there's people in that auditorium with us that even though they know what happened to their family members, for them seeing it happen, this movie felt so real. There was no glamorization of being in the army or being at war in this movie. So sitting there, my mind raced the whole time, thinking about all the people sitting around me. Are they okay? What can we do to make them better? Um, What can we do to fix it? And there's really nothing we can do to fix it, but love them and remember their people. 
She had squeezed my hand so hard at one point, I thought she was starting to break some bones. Yes. <laughs> um, However, after the meeting, I got to spend a little time with the families, the most beautiful people, the most beautiful people in the world. And watching these people who have been through so much love this guy right here, the way that they were loving on him was huge. And it was very healing for me. And um, I think there was some healing that happened for a lot of people being together and seeing that and seeing how these eight amazing heroes were honored during this movie. One of the things that um, that I did when I, I bought the movie, because it came with a lot of bonus content and I wanted to be able to kind of see everything that came with it. And it it came with like a 30 minute behind the scenes um, documentary about how they made it and the camera angles and how the cameramen were running with the guys to make you feel like you were really there. And what amazed me was that they filmed it in Bulgaria and they filmed it in a quarry that did not have the mountains that you guys were surrounded by. So they had to add that stuff in. Looking at the movie, because I'm assuming you didn't go on set, right? That you you saw for the first time the rebuilt set when you saw the movie, right? Is that what it really looked like? Yeah. Um, so I did have an opportunity to go out there, but I think that was a little overwhelming. And I wanted them to be able to do their job and, you know, without getting in the way. The... Uh, I think the movie was pretty accurate to the setting that we were in. We, if you stepped out of a building, you look, look straight up a mountain, literally straight up a mountain. So we were in a valley, and um, yeah, it, it, I think I think the landscape was was pretty dead on. It was it was very accurate. I could. The, what the great thing about it is is technology, because a lot of that is CGI. So technology is amazing because you would never know that that was CGI. When I watched it anyway, I was like, man, it, that really li literally looks like the side of a mountain. When I watched it, I I tried to, I mean, I, I knew how the story ended, obviously. I knew what had happened in the battle. So it was like, you know, it's you're going into a movie like Titanic where it's like you already know the whole story. You know what I mean? But but you don't know how it happened. So watching that movie, you go, OK, I know what the story is. What I loved and I want to get your take on it was some of the personal interactions like you had spoken so highly of of Lieutenant Bunderman in the podcast and then to get mm -hmm. to see his interactions with your character and how he stepped up and then just some of the interpersonal quiet moments with the guys did they get that part of it right too i think for the most part that they did yes i think a lot of the personalities were spot on um lieutenant bunnerman was just a young guy who was a lieutenant i mean he was just very Young in the service, not many years. He had, a, if I'm not mistaken, he had a degree in hotel management, and he rocked it. I mean, he, no one could have done it better than than Lieutenant Bunnerman. He, he did such a great job of of organizing, commanding, moving this, that, and the other. Just just phenomenal work. So 
you never know from from guys and girls that from different walks of life, different professions will really wow you with what they can do in a moment's notice when when uh, life is on the line and 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 things like that. Like I mentioned last time, it's like it's autopilot when your training just kicks in. But he did a great job, and everybody else's personality is pretty much matched. You know, um, just because you know we're just because it was a really hard movie to watch and everybody got like all these glamorous you know, awards and all this other kind of stuff, and everybody did a damn good job on the battlefield. Everybody, you know, fought their ass off and did a great job. A lot of, you know, a lot of us aren't the best people. We're, we're you know, some of us have some rigid edges, and that's the way it is. But when it comes to, to battle and, and, you know, your life is on the line or your buddy to your left and right is on the line, none of that matters, you know? Johnny, it doesn't matter. Johnny, what did you think of the of of john's portrayal in the movie what did you think of the guy that played him because you know him pretty much better than anybody oh uh (laughs) jonathan younger did such a good job being john um john has this funny dry serious humor and sarcasm that it's hard for a lot of people to read. John comes across very serious and stoic at all times. And then he just, he'll pop off with one of these one-liners that leaves everybody questioning. And Jonathan Younger definitely caught that. But the other part that Jonathan Younger caught was that John really is a humble guy. And he is unassuming and he's intelligent and he has a strong will and a strong heart. And that was portrayed in the movie nicely. And, um, you know, for movie's sake, there are things that get rearranged and, um, you know, the John being the humble man that he was did not really divulge a lot of himself to Jonathan Younger. John did not want to be the a focus of the movie. Um, the John truly is the guy that is, he's just the supporting guy that is there to make other people shine. And in that, there's something really noble and strong and silent about that. And all you have to do is spend a little bit of time with him and you'll catch that. So Jonathan Younger did did portray him very well. And, um, you know, I, he's a joyful person. He's a serious person and he's a lot of fun. And uh, he caught a lot of that, but uh, it's, he's just, if everyone in the the way that I know him, the world would definitely be a great place because he he brings out the better in everybody. And so um, he's so uncomfortable right now. Look at him. He's like, I can't handle this. He is. And, you know, um, that's the beauty of who he is, is that he really just wants to be the guy in the background and he wants to see other people around him shine and um in with his whole heart the most important part of the movie was making sure that the eight men that are his heroes were portrayed as heroes during that movie and jonathan younger and rod laurie 
And the whole crew did an amazing job of portraying that and um, making sure the truth was out there. Well, Jonathan Younger is a better looking man than I am, that's for sure. <laughs> you said that in the podcast and I had no idea what he looked like. And then when I was watching the movie, so, at first I was like, wait, is that him? Because he looks like you, but not really. And I was like, wait a minute, is that the right guy? Yeah. So he's well, interesting fact about Jonathan Younger is, you know, we what they try to do is they try to get uh, people that were, you know, actors that were familiar with the military because that's very important. And then they actually had people come out there to be advisors that were actually former military or, or you know, they had some some Rangers and all that kind of stuff. And they actually had some some guys that had served in that battle go out there and, and be advisors. So one interesting thing about uh, Jonathan Younger is one of the first thing I, I asked him when we were talking on the phone because he tried to pull as much information about me as he could was, did you serve? And he said, yes, I did. And I was like, well, what branch did you serve in? Hoping to God he didn't say Marines. Just kidding. <laughs> I kid. I kid. All the Marines are like. I know. I know. I love. I love Marines. No, you. All. You had uh, really sweet things in the podcast to say about Marines, yeah. and we talked so, about that that battling yeah. between the branches. Yeah. yeah. No, Marines are great. I love them. And uh, but he served in the IDF. He was in the Israeli Defense Force. So that's huge props because that's that's a that's a really badass army. So. Um, he has my respect, that's for sure. One thing that I know um, with people in the military and, and their deployments, no matter how bad they were, there are lighthearted moments and funny times. And one of the funny things in the movie was the gun battle when the guy got stuck in the shower and comes out buck-ass naked returning fire. Did that really happen? Yeah. <laughs> and actually... It actually happen, It happens more often than you think because you don't have time to put your clothes on and, and, and run out there and to be in uniform. You got, you're going to fight. So, yes, that, it's happened. There, there have been guys and gals that have been, been fighting and they're in their underwear or whatever the case may be. As a matter of fact, there's a few several years ago, there was a guy that uh, had a picture taken, and I, I think it might have actually been in Afghanistan as well, where he <laughs> was shooting – and he had his uh, protective vest on and his cut bar and he was shooting, but he had a pair of red or no, he had white boxers with, I believe they're red hearts on them. <laughs> and somebody captured that moment. And I believe that those underwear are in a museum. No way. Really? Yeah, I, I believe so. I, but that's, that's another funny moment. But yeah, that happens. I mean, there's a lot of lighthearted moments up there. For example, like in, in uh, you know, a lot of these things are in the film, but for example, like for our platoon leader, um, we filled his hooch up with uh, balloons, but, but half of them were filled with baby powder. So when he went in there and he was popping them all, they all exploded with baby powder and stuff like that. So just moments like that that kind of kept people, it helped keep morale up and things like that. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you're supposed to be a professional and you shouldn't let things like that. Well, you know what? You gotta have some some uh, humor and and of you know, things to lift the spirits of the guys. So I let them, you know, clown around and have fun with each other. Practical jokes like that when you're in the mountains of Afghanistan require months of planning because if you need something, you gotta get somebody to send it to you in a care package, and then so you're yeah. like, guys, I need baby powder and birthday balloons, and then you gotta wait for the helicopter to show up with the care package uh -huh. with the balloons in it or 
you know, the Santa hats or whatever it is that you guys are, are looking forward to over there. Uh, are there any other so, memories that stand out for you like that? Yeah, there was another one. Uh, this, this, the credit goes out to uh, Jory Brown and Eric Harder. And those two clowns were in my platoon and, and they, they always refer to themselves as the, uh, was that Step Brothers, the movie Step Brothers. And they would always pull pranks on everybody. And usually it was the lieutenants that were on the butt end of the joke. But anyway, in the middle of the night, they took his shampoo and they emptied it out and they filled it with mayonnaise. Oh, I and they called it, they called it fancy sauce. <laughs> and they, they did, they did things like put on underneath his sheets and, and between the mattress, they put a bunch of hand warmers one night and then they put the air horn under his chair and, and just so just all kinds of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. People are telling me in the comments that the guy with the heart uh, boxer shorts was from Massachusetts. So we got to find out who that guy is because we need to get him in the war room. Get him on the show. Yes, we got to get him in here. And then it's amazing. I got to watch a video. Yeah. No, it's a picture. Somebody just took just captured the moment. And I thought it was one of the funniest things, but it just shows that, you know, underneath all this shit that we wear and underneath the the, the war torn faces and all that kind of stuff there we have a heart and, and some kind of humor and, and we we do enjoy life did uh some people are asking did you guys put did you really put the goat in the lieutenant's room did that happen too so that i had no part of that but it did happen <laughs> yes it, it did happen he woke up turned over and there was a goat tied to his bed yes <laughs> i love how your disclaimer's like but i had no part of it I had no. <laughs> I had nothing to do. I just I want a, to be known. I had no no part of it. Yeah, I had a lot of. I had a lot of. I had a part in a lot of, of other things, but that was one that I didn't. I I wish I could say I could take credit for that one, but no, that wasn't me. <laughs> and then one of the things that I thought was amazing, and I'm glad that you and I talked and recorded the podcast first, was you talked about the fish song that you used to sing when you were deployed with yeah. your daughter. And they put that in the movie. Yeah. And so as yeah. I was watching the movie, I went, oh, the fish song. Yeah. And had I not, had we not talked in the podcast first, I may not have understood exactly what that moment yeah. was in the film, but I thought that was really cool that they put that in there. Yeah, you know, you're going to get me all emotional. But, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't no, mean to. I told you this okay. was going to no, be a lighthearted it's, thing. It's emotion. You know, when we were up on the OP before I moved down to Cockheating, we had gotten in firefights pretty much every night, if not every other night. And there were times where, you know, shit was really hitting the fan. And, and you know, when, when you get into situations like that and, and you are – you're coming down from it, you know, the adrenaline is going away and you're kind of coming back to reality and you're, you're coming out of autopilot and you're taking a deep breath and you're reflecting on this kind of stuff and you make a phone call and you hear a sweet, young, innocent little girl's voice on the phone and you get to sing a song that we would sing back home together, back and forth and every, and she has a line and then I have a line and then she has a line and I have a line. It makes all the bad shit go away. It, 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 it makes everything go away. It energizes me. And, and, and it's not just me. It's, it's all the fathers, all the brothers, the sons, the mothers, the daughters, the, you know, you, it doesn't matter. The, the sweet sound of a child's voice on the phone will just bring you back. And, and it's amazing. And it, it was a very important thing for me. It really yeah, those is. Oh, sorry. Real, honey. Go those ahead. real conversations, those like, 
Sergeant Christopher Griffin. The conversation he was having during that was with his gam gam. And that was a real conversation that his mother shared with them to make the movie, Mm -hmm. you know, and those are just touching endearing moments that probably seem so small and so insignificant, even to them in the moment. But then at some point, uh, it's what keeps you holding on every day and reminds you. It's got to be what reminds you why why we're here and what I'm hopefully going back to. And so... um, for those bits to be put into the movie, I know that they meant a lot to the Gold Star mm. moms and dads and family members. You know, those that's the part that shows that they're real people, mm-hmm. that they're real people. They're not just, you know, program soldiers out there doing a job. They're real people out there. They're normal, ordinary men and women out there that do have to do extraordinary things at some times. And mm-hmm. it's it's. I don't know. It was those were the warm parts of the movie for sure for me. John, doesn't it give you an appreciation for generations of veterans before you that had to like I know my grandfather when he was in the Navy in World War Two, he was in the South Pacific for almost two years. And all he could do was just write letters home. And all my grandmother could do was write those letters back. And you look at what technology gave you for access to home. It just makes Mm. me think how hard it must have been for my grandfather and and previous generations of people that served and what little access and, and, you know, con, um, contact they had. You know, it's great that you bring that up because, um, all the listeners out there need to look this up too. Um, we had one guy from the air force that was with us on cop Keating, one guy from the air force and his job was to keep the internet running. (laughs) And he had to fight that day. And he did a great job. And there's actually a article in the Air Force magazine. I don't know what it's called. I think it's called the Airman or something like that. It may have changed because of what society is going through right now. Air person, I suppose. I don't know. But um, it's called the uh, the Lone Airman. They should look that up and read that because that, that kid, you know, was a, <laughs> his, his job was to keep the Internet running an Air Force guy in the middle of the worst place in Afghanistan where we are in the wild, wild east. And never in that kid's mind did he ever think he was going to get into some shit like that. So he did. Just for anybody that's watching this, like imagine the IT guy at your company in the mountains of Afghanistan because that's the guy in the Air Force and he's there because he's smart enough to keep the internet running in the mountains of Afghanistan. But He's like, I didn't sign up for this shit. This isn't my job. That's really funny. (laughs) Well, you know, they had to have someone from the Air Force do it because us us dumb Army guys would have broke it. (laughs) All right, I got to ask you about the poop because there was a lot of poop burning in the movie. Did you guys burn all of the poop? You had to burn the poop. Like, that was the punishment, right? That you had to burn all of that stuff? Yes, uh, you had to burn your poop. Yeah. That's the only sanitary way of getting rid of it without uh, um, without desecrating the soil of the land that we were on um, for more or less. I mean, for more or less reasons like that. So, I mean, if it, if we didn't have any guys that were being punished, it was a rotational thing, just like guard duty. Oh, I, I had gotcha. to do it when I was a young. I had to do it when I was young. So, 
you know, everybody has their chance to do it. And yes, it's the it's the nastiest fucking thing that you've got to do, but it's got to be done. But yes, there was shit burning. A lot of people asked in comments when the podcast episode came out, and especially once they saw the, the movie, was they, they saw the guys swapping parts of the MREs. What did you guys eat up there? Did you have a, a, an army cook up there or were you just eating MREs like on a daily basis? Because you were so remote. That was one of the amazing things about the movie is that it showed how isolated you are. But what the hell were you eating? So, yeah, the, the cook on Keating was fucking garbage. He was a lazy <laughs> piece of trash. He was fat and stupid and he didn't want to cook and he wanted to spend all his days playing Xbox all day long. And then when he cooked something, it was always undercooked and it made people sick. So a lot of the guys relied on um, uh, packages sent from home that had snacks and stuff in it. Or we would break open MREs and we would do, you know, whatever. Some people like this, some people like that and whatever. And everybody would kind of swap things around. And, and um, everybody was really good at sharing things when they were sent from home. You just- we, we had... We had such huge support from America on on care packages. It was just phenomenal. You just did it again. A lot of people were commenting on uh, one of the things that they love so much about the podcast is just how raw and open and honest you are. And and as you're saying this stuff, Johnny's like, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and anybody that's ever spent any time with you, like, that's just how you are. You're unfiltered. And I appreciate that so much about you is that you're just like, I'm not going to bullshit you. This is how I feel. This is what's going on. And there's mm-hmm. so much of that um, in the podcast as well. And I think they captured that in the movie, too, that um, they really kind of got exactly what Johnny was describing, that part of your personality. And I, I think they did a really good job with it. And you just did it again. And I was like, ha! There he is. That's the guy. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it happens. <laughs> so one of the things that we didn't really talk too much about in the podcast, and now that I'm so excited that everybody here in the war room gets to meet you for real, is now that you're home and you're retired, that you actually get to do normal things. Now we did talk about your serious beard game, so I'm glad that everybody gets to see that magnificent beard that you were talking about in the podcast. But what are you doing now that you're home? Like, obviously, you can tell by what you guys are wearing. And I know you because I've ridden with you that you guys ride. So everybody's asking about your bike. Oh, okay. So I have. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm obviously a Harley Davidson enthusiast. And uh, so is Johnny. She's been in the industry for almost 30 years. She's been working for Harley Davidson. 30 fucking years. That's a long time. That's that is some dedication. Time. That's right. Yeah. So um, I have two Harley Davidsons. I have a 1995 Dyna Y-Glide that's slammed. And then uh, it's a rebuild project right now. And then I have a, what is it, 2018? 17. 2017 Road Glide Special. And uh, so I'd love to get out and ride. We go ride as often as we can. It's kind of hard to do right now considering, you know, when you ride, you want to stop somewhere to eat lunch or have a drink or whatever, but everything's fucking closed. You got to wear a mask. You got to do this, that, and the other. So a lot of our riding kind of consists of going like away out from away from the city and just uh, enjoy the, the the scenes and the in the landscape and maybe go by the lake or something like that. And so that's that's a lot of what we do. Um, 
so like like I said, she works she works for Holly Davidson. What I do for a living right now is I actually work for a mental health company that uh, gives mental health uh, care to active duty veterans and family members. Which is amazing because you were very upfront and and that was a part of the movie as well. Is that that mental health component of everything? And that you are so open about encouraging people to go through that. It really yeah. is a testament to your character that for as rough and tough of a guy that you are, um, that you recognize that that's part of the process as well. And I thought that was really great when you were talking about that in the podcast, just how, how you were so open to say, yeah, it's part of the process and you couldn't have gone through what we went through without getting some help when you got home. Well, mental health is, uh, is, is a great tool and I think everybody needs to take advantage of it. One of the hardest things that I find that young men and women have struggles with is getting through the doors to get that help because there's a lot and, and it's still out there. There's a really bad stigma and it was, it was more so. Oh, your dogs are going to be on the show now. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because my giant dog eats out of the little bowl and the little dog eats out of the big bowl. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think I think mental health is is extremely important. And, and like I said, the stigma is still out there. Not as bad as it used to be. But the reason why I'm so adamant about mental health is because many, many years ago when I was deployed to a, a particular area, you know, we had a very, um, very hard, very, very... Uh, we had a platoon sergeant that got himself in a lot of trouble. I'll just say that. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it affected a lot of us. And so I had, I had went to gone, I went to get counseling and then I was ridiculed for it. And I was told that I was a coward. I was a pussy. I was all this kind of shit like that. But I'm just like, no, that's, that's not right. You know, because a wise man told me is like, if you can't take care of this and you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your fucking soldiers. So, um, Ever since then, I've been a big advocate for mental health, and I and I want to help turn that stigma around to where you should be able to go get mental health, and you should be supported by your your leadership, whether it's in a a company, in the military, whether I don't give a shit where where it's at or what you're doing. I think that if if you're needing that help, you should go get it, and you should have that support, and you should have the privacy too, um, because. It, it, works, it turns people around. It gets them into a better place in life, and it, it it's it's needed. I still get counseling, and I don't give a fuck what anybody says about it. And I'll still get counseling because it helps me. It works for me. And that's that's the amazing. I mean, if you could see the comments that are coming through here, that people are just thanking you for for just saying this stuff because it needs to be said and. You saying it holds a lot of weight because so many people, you know, will go and get help or whatever, but they don't want to talk about it. And it takes a brave, selfless person to be like, fuck you. I need help. I'm getting it. You know, eat a bag of dicks, as we say in the war room. So Big, big giant bag of floppy dicks. <laughs> I want to let you in on one uh, war room uh, inside joke. Um, there's a war room joke that we have that's called blueberry cobbler and it's, oh, no. <laughs> now I want to see if my blueberry cobbler story is anything like what you might be laughing about. 
<laughs> so when I, I I told you in the podcast that my experience in Afghanistan and yours couldn't have been more opposite. I was in the middle of the city most of the time. You were way up in the mountains, detached from everything. The base that I was on had, I, I forget, it was like 17 countries represented. There was a lot of contractors coming around. Um, they had a little marketplace where people could go and get like souvenir kind of things and whatever. And then one of the businesses that was there was a massage parlor. And when you went to go get a massage, if you asked for the blueberry cobbler, you got that kind of massage. And all of the guys... (laughs) Johnny's face is amazing. So all the guys that I was embedded with were begging me to go get a massage and ask for the blueberry cobbler because I was the only girl around and they wanted to know what would happen. And I was like, guys, I'm not going to get a blueberry cobbler. Like, it's not going to happen. And then like a week later, the MPs raided the place. And then like the next week, there was new girls in the massage parlor from a different country. And I never found out what the blueberry cobbler equivalent code word was before I left again. But when we started this whole war room thing, one of the things that I would do every night was tell either a story from one of my trips overseas or I would show something that I brought back or some memento here in the war room. And Blueberry Cobbler is one of those stories that stuck so bad that it pops up in the comments. People just write Blueberry Cobbler and it just goes by in the comments. And it's gone by like 10 times already. So I wanted to loop you in so that if you guys go and watch this later, you're going to be like, what the fuck is going on with the cobbler? Like, why are they talking about blueberry cobbler so much? So that's what it is. I've never heard of the blueberry cobbler. (laughs) I told you our experiences in Afghanistan were very different. So I, I, I heard about it. But I never participated in anything like that because, like I said, I was in a, I was out in the middle of nowhere right. with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> so there was no blueberry cobbler happening up there. That's for damn sure. At least I don't. At least that I don't know of. For God's oh, sake! Oh my God, my stomach hurts. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> so that was just one of these like, and it was because I was broadcasting on the radio from there. Like it wasn't a story that I could really talk about. But I'm still so close with so many of the guys that I met in Afghanistan and they'll just text me blueberry cobbler like out of the blue for no reason. This many years later, it still comes up. And once I told that story, because, you know, we drink here in the war room. Cheers. And cheers. It took me a few cocktails one night and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to tell the blueberry cobbler story. And then it's one of those things where once the floodgates open and now it's out there. And people have been sending me bottles of blueberry vodka and we got to come up with a blueberry cobbler recipe. And now this thing has stuck. Oh, shut up. Yeah, you didn't even know about it and you did it. Yeah, that's my dream. Yes, that is so. And guys, I swear to God, this was not planned. Blueberry cobbler later. You're welcome. No, you're welcome. (laughs) <laughs> You're welcome. You can thank me later. <laughs> oh my god, that is so funny. The comments are freak people are just dying laughing. His would be sausage casserole says Kimberly. People are just dying. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. That's funny. 
And then one of the other things that you might see in the comments, and I want to let you in on this other inside war room joke, is that I got on a flight one time, just a regular flight here in the States, and um, I was flying back to Boston, and the guy sitting next to me uh, was just got wasted as soon as he got on the plane. And there were two seats, so he's sitting in the window, I'm sitting on the aisle, and they, he was getting really drunk and obnoxious, and I was like what the fuck? Like I was getting mad that they kept serving the guy. Right. So then they bring the snacks and he gets the bag of Cheez-Its, like the little snack bags. And he opened it vigorously and Cheez-Its go flying everywhere. And they land in my lap. Right. This motherfucker goes to get the Cheez-Its in my lap. So one of the things that we always say in the war room is you never go for the Cheez-It like never, ever, ever go for the Cheez-It. And I looked at the guy and I was like, if you want that fucking hand back when you get to Boston, you're not, don't, don't go for those Cheez-Its. And the guy was drunk and he was being such an ass. And I was like, look, man, if you go for that Cheez-It, when we land, the state police are going to be there waiting for you. And it's going to suck. You're like, you're getting fucking arrested. Don't touch that Cheez-It. Right. So then we land. Well, there'll, be another group, there'll be another group of dudes probably waiting there too. Well, <laughs> So, so I land and one of my buddies that's a state trooper actually would just happen to be in the gate in his uniform, just by chance, like you having blueberry booze at that moment. And I get off the plane and I go and hug the dude and the guy's just, he was like, Ooh. I was like, yeah, good thing you didn't go for that fucking cheese it. Right. But the people that you're referring to, we have a lot of common friends and, and you have a lot of friends because you ride that you have biker friends and stuff. Before I let you go, can you talk about what those friendships within your own veteran community mean to you, like what your brothers mean to you now that you've been retired and what that time, like we talked about a little bit in the podcast. We outnumber you 97 to three, the 97 civilians to three veterans and active duty military. And there are times where no one, Johnny, you can attest to this, that nobody is as close as we can be to you Sometimes we're just not going to get, but when you get around your brothers in arms, when you get around your fellow veterans and military guys, you've, there's just this camaraderie and brotherhood that nobody else can really understand. And those relationships are so important. So can you just talk about your brothers and, and the veterans community and what that closeness and what those relationships mean to you? Uh, it's everything. I mean, you're you're with like-minded people that have been through something that you might have been through or, or they've worn the same uniform that you went through been through the same training that you've been through it doesn't matter you know and and the great thing about it is is that it's it's a network of knowledge so you know i'm, I'm gonna throw a name out there um jimmy mack who is a wealth of knowledge of thousands of veteran service organizations and there, there's so many other veterans that have that that same wealth of knowledge and so if i am talking to a fellow veteran and i'll say you know listen I, i'm really i'm really down on my luck I, i'm hurting financially because i lost my job or something like that he he or she may be able to say you know what i know this person at this veteran service organization there's their contact information they're going to be able to help you out you know it's it's that and it's, you know, I've had brothers that have helped me significantly. Like, 
I've reached out for help and they've helped me significantly, you know, financially, they've helped me with mental health. They've helped me in so many ways. And I return the same back to them. So it's just a great community of us that we're all like-minded people. Now, the people that have never served, it's not, it's not that we don't want anything to do with you. It's not a disrespect thing. We love the people that didn't serve. We love the Patriots that have supported us. But if a car crash victim comes to me and says, what do I do? You know, knock on wood, I've never been in a car crash. I wouldn't know what to, to say. I wouldn't know how to relate. I wouldn't know what to do. So that's just an example. I think that, you know, we just like to get together as a group a lot of times too, because it reminds us of being in a platoon or a troop or a company or something like that. And we're joking around and we're reminiscing about old times and we're joking around with each other or shit. We might punch the shit out of each other just for the hell of it every once in a while or something like that. But it's just, it's, you guys are fixated with tapping each other's nuts. I've never seen You guys will just sneak up behind each other and just nut tap, nut tap. And then your poor buddies doubled over in pain. Mm. No, not me. They, they, they shouldn't do it to me because I'm old. Those things will, like, just pff, turn into dust. They'll turn into dust. Oh, my God, I'm but dying. Yeah, no, yeah. no there, there's all kinds of shit. But the thing is, it's just great when we get together because it, that's what it is. It's reminiscing. We all are like-minded. We all talk about the same things. You know, it's just really, you know, for example, like, there there are two or three guys that I've met uh, through the motorcycle um network that I had no idea, but I was either right in front of them or right behind them when we rotated through Iraq. Like they were at one place and then I relieved their unit and so forth and so on. And there was a couple guys literally that we were just like in the same place at the same time, but didn't even know each other. And so it's just a lot of stuff like that too. So it's just a real great, it's, and the thing is, 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 I don't think that there is a general one thing great about the military is I don't think there's a really big generation gap. I think that I can talk to a Vietnam veteran. I think I can talk to a World War II veteran. I think I could talk to those that are serving now and we all have something in common. You know, it, it may not be the uniform and it may, may not be the equipment. It may not be this. It may not be that, but we may have the same experiences. We may have the same, you know, thoughts and things like that. So it's just a really great network. It's a really great community and we're all in it to help each other and all we're all in it for the win. Mm-hmm. One of the, before I let you go, Johnny had such amazing things to say about you when you guys were talking about the movie and you were so, <laughs> you were so open in the podcast talking about um, the support at home and I think there are a lot of military and veteran spouses that are either female members of the service and their husbands or wives are at home or vice versa. And so I really want to give you a chance to talk about what a support she has been for you, but also the greater thing of what, what, what kind of person it takes to stand by your side and what it's like for the spouses and the family members and how much their support, not only while you were gone, because you've talked about that a lot, but also that are there for you now. I mean, I know what a fucking badass she is. Everybody's been commenting on her tattoos. They're like, 
stop talking and ask her about her tattoos. Like that's all anybody <laughs> wants to talk about. But, but can you just, before I let you go, can you talk about Johnny's support and, and the support of all of the spouses and partners that are standing by you and all your fellow veteran sides? Yeah, so I think it's important to to make sure that everybody knows that those that are family members are extremely important, period. Uh, you know, my ex and my kids were very supportive when I was deployed. It, it takes a very special family to be able to deal with the things that we deal with when we're deployed. Because here's the thing, what a lot of people don't understand is that the spouse picks up a hundred percent of what goes on at the house when that, when the, the service man or woman is deployed. They pick up the lawn mowing. They pick up the keep the car running. They 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 keep the entire house clean. It's supposed to be 50-50, right? But it's a hundred percent now. So it's and then it's you know going to school, raising children, holding on a job, and having to do all those things at one time. So it takes a very special person, and and I've got to you know, send a lot of respect to all the spouses out there, man, woman, whatever the case may be, that are have gone through that or are doing that now or whatever, you know, because it, it's a lot of fucking things to deal with. It, it really is. And it's really hard on the children too. Really super hard on the children. You know, and, and I know it's during the podcast, but, you know, when, you, when your son – who's around 10 years old and he looks at you in, in, in a car and he says, I don't want you, I don't want you to go to Afghanistan because you, I think you're going to die. I'm afraid you're going to die. In that moment when your child says that to you, you understand that it has impacted your family in more ways than one, not just that you're gone, but up here as well. So it's important that families also take advantage of getting counseling as well. So a lot of post things, you know, it, it's difficult, too, because when we come back, we come back different. And and we're not the same people. Some some are, some are not. It, it, some Everybody's mind and body reacts differently to all kinds of stuff. So I'm not saying that this is everybody's reaction. This is just mine in particular. <clears throat> some have it worse, some have it better, some have it whatever. But for me, I changed, I, I, I changed a lot. And, and now that, that that i'm with johnny she's having to you know she comes from a military family also her dad was in the military and so she does have a general idea of what that i mean she well, more than a general idea you have a lot of knowledge on what that's like and i'll tell you it's it's been amazing because there have been times where i've had real struggles and she has she just automatically knows how to deal with it she knows when I'm having those nightmares. She knows when I'm having my bad days and she knows when I'm having my good days and she knows exactly what to do and say. You know, whether it's, you know, I'm I'm flailing around at night instead of shaking me wildly and saying, what's wrong? It's just a gentle, hey, you're okay, wake up, whatever. Or, or you know, there's many other things that I could say, but, but it's just been amazing and it, it really takes a patient person to be able to deal some with someone who has post-traumatic stress or, you know, their anxiety is firing through the roof because you're in a building full of people that just don't get it. And you just want to fucking leave because you're, you're, are you going to start looking like the Tasmanian devil <laughs> in Walmart and groceries are going all over the place 
but it just takes a good person to, to do that. And, and everybody that, that has been a part of my life has been able to deal with things like that. And, and I'm thankful that, that she's been there to help me. And I'm thankful for everybody that's been there to, to support me in my life. And, and, and while we all go in different directions, I think that this is just important message to everybody that we cannot forget about family members. Can't. They're a very important part of this whole veteran network. And, and if we're forgetting about them, then we're forgetting about everything because they're, they're, you know, they're giving it their all. And, and we can't forget that. So we've got to make sure and take care of those family members and those children and the grandchildren and the, you know, the whole works. Before I was going to let you go now, but my producer from Afghanistan, Mike, is commenting right now. And he had a great question because he's prior service as well. He said, are there any common identifying signs that a current spouse of a vet should look for to know when they may need some help? And that's a great question. See, he's he's bucking for a job, producer Mike. He came to Afghanistan with me. And now I think he wants to be the war room producer and the podcast producer because he asked really good questions. No, no, it's supposed to be me. I'm taking that job. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that job, dude. You're, you could kick um, his ass. I'm going I'm to let, let her answer that question because she sees it. I mean, obviously, I can't see it unless I'm looking in the mirror. So I'm going to let her answer that. Well, first of all, I'm going to address in the movie. You'll hear the guys say, and I'm sure you, Mistress Carrie, have heard it You can several just call times. me Carrie, honey. Embrace, it's all good. Embrace the suck. So overseas, um, deployed, probably even stateside, the military guys use the phrase embrace the suck. And that just means basically suck it up and enjoy the fact that we are all in this together, um, that it sucks and there's nothing we can do to change the suck. So we might as well fucking embrace it and own it. Um, I can only suck that John's family had to embrace while he was overseas, while he was in a place where they couldn't talk to him whenever they wanted to, when they knew that at any moment his life could come to a screeching halt. Embracing that suck is huge. Um, so then there's the post-military embrace the suck. And sometimes I have to embrace the suck. Sometimes I have to see him become extra involved in fixing everybody else. And when he becomes extra involved in fixing everybody else, that means he needs help. That means he needs something to focus his positive back on because what he's doing is trying to take the spotlight off of himself, which is what he does and which is what most veterans do is I'm not going to talk about me. I'm going to talk about all these other guys that need help. I'm going to push these other guys to get help. I'm going to do whatever I can and invest myself into helping these guys. Usually for me, I can tell that means John is struggling. I can tell he has, um, he'll start to flail a little bit more at night. He'll become very short. PTS doesn't always mean I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to do this. 
Sometimes it means I'm going to get so involved in my work that I can't focus on anything else. And I'm going to start letting other things fall. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to take care of doing my laundry or I'm not going to do these things. It's really involving finding other jobs to do other than focusing on what is wrong with me. And that's what he will do. And so, um, I find myself in those times, slowing him down, making him not talk about it because there is veteran talk. And though I am around veterans a lot, I've done a lot with the VSOs and everything else. I don't speak veteran. I can talk about what I can, I know, but I haven't been there. So truthfully for me, that's when I start pushing him. You need to go be with the club. You need to go do this. Do you need to reach out to your counselor? Do you need this? I am lucky that John very much recognizes in himself when he might need a little bit extra. He has actually come to me at before and said, I think I need to go see my counselor. And it's funny because he'll come to me in a way like he's looking for permission for me to say it's okay for him to do that. And all I want to do is drive him there, hand deliver him there, whatever I can do to support him to be there. But what I would like to say to everybody out there, whether you are talking about a veteran, whether it doesn't matter, human beings, when we are talking about human beings, we have got to be face to face with our friends a lot. And the reason you got to be face to face with your friends is you can send a text to someone and say, are you okay? And they can respond fine. But if you are in their face and you say, are you okay? They can't lie. They can say I'm fine, but you can see it written all over their face. So if there's someone in your life that you haven't seen in a while, there's someone that just maybe you kind of had this gut feeling like, I'm not sure if they're okay. If you have the gut feeling that they're not okay, they're probably not okay. So go get in their face because they can't lie to your face. They can't change the way they look to the right or to the left or won't won't engage you but reaching out in that moment is huge and can make all the difference in the world in that moment and you know we've become so reliant on our texting that we stop calling people stop hearing the tone in their voice well, especially stop hearing with the, the virus it's hard right now yes so it is important for us to reach out hear voices um speak um, see them in their face, make sure that we know and they know that we're holding them accountable to be here tomorrow. We're holding them accountable. Sometimes that's what people need is just the accountability that somebody knows that I have to be responsible to see them tomorrow. Sometimes that's all it takes. So you know, it, 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 PTS isn't something that is long term. It is long term, but it's not something that you go through day in and day out and day in and day out. You can be fine. And then you can be in a restaurant that becomes overcrowded 
and there's people talking and they're they're standing there waiting and suddenly they're bumping into him over and over and over and you have to be their advocate you have to be be able to be brave enough to get up and say hey can you please stop bumping into him i know that we're it's crowded here but he has and john i've had to do it i've had to say he has pts could you please stop you know what i've never had someone say to me they i've never had pushback i've actually had people say oh my gosh i am so sorry but we sometimes we have to be their advocate sometimes we have to be the person to speak up because it is military to embrace the suck and while he's embracing the suck he's totally damaging his own his own mental health so sometimes we have to be their advocate and we have to be the people that are willing to say please stop what you're doing and in the same sense we have to be the person to say i will be there to walk with you if you need me to go to your counselor or would you please go ride with your buddies go out with your brothers that's a good woman right there that's a good woman right there (laughs) yes so you have to we all have to embrace the suck at some point and we have to do it with love and that's how everybody gets through it and that's how you become closer it's not that he doesn't want to be with me at those times it's that he needs to be around guys that knew know what it was like and he needs to be able to say whatever stupid vulgar things that guys say together smashed assholes yes yes they need to tap each other's nuts and hug each other and then call each other fucking assholes and do all that shit no 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 they need so, to do that so so here i know that there's been many requests for this and it may not show up on your text messages but i have one thing to say to all my brothers out there that are listening. you know they're watching moist <laughs> Moist. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to just accept that. Yeah. That's what yeah. comes with being with a veteran or being with even an active duty military guy. They're used to just being off the cuff. And well so I am grateful. I've learned a lot from this guy. Well, I, I am going to try and sum up everybody's comments. I encourage you guys to go and read the comments after because. You are never, ever going to pay for a drink in Boston ever if you ever come here because literally everyone wants to buy you guys drinks and they are just so, everybody is just talking about how wonderful it is that you guys, and first of all, everybody's commenting moist now, but everybody, (laughs) (laughs) but everybody is just so grateful that you guys are so open and honest about this stuff because it's not a lot of stuff that you hear. And, and no one can say that you guys don't know what you're talking about. So you're just, it's a gift that you guys are being so open and honest. And I can't tell you how grateful I am. Um, I know that this weekend has, has got to have been hard for you, uh, with the movie coming out and everybody, including myself, asking you ridiculous amounts of questions all of the time. And I was so grateful that you wanted to sit down and do the podcast with me. And I texted you and I'm like, any interest in coming in the war room? And you're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And I was like, okay, cool. 
So I just want to let you guys both know, I am so grateful that you guys have taken so much time and that you've been so open and honest. Johnny, I am going to ask you, I'm going to put it on you for you to invent a blueberry cobbler cocktail. Like I really, (laughs) I want you to come up with a really good drink recipe. I don't think anyone that's come in the war room has been more qualified than you. So Usually we go over drink recipes in the war room. So I'm going to put, that's your homework. I'm going to put that on you to come up with the perfect blueberry cobbler cocktail. And when you get it done, you let me know. And then. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Yeah. That'll be great. That is your, that is your job because it's something that, uh, first of all, we found out that national blueberry cobbler day is. Oh my God. Guys in the war room, correct me if I'm wrong. Is National Blueberry Cobbler Day tomorrow? We Googled it one night in the war room after one too many drinks. Please tell me it's not today. I think it's tomorrow, National Blueberry Cobbler Day, which I can't believe, thank God I remembered before it passed and then we couldn't celebrate it properly. But uh, you got to come up with a good drink recipe for us because the blueberry cobbler needs to be commemorated properly here in the war room. And if you drink, <laughs> and if you drink blueberry vodka on the reg, then we got to get a really good drink and you're the woman to do it. Awesome. Challenge accepted. All right, good. Guys, thank you so much for um, just being so awesome. I love you both. I I think it's just an amazing story from top to bottom. And the comments and everybody is just showering you with love. And I hope you can feel it all the way in Texas. And you guys fucking rock. I love you. Uh, we love rock. you too. We I, love you. And, and love back to everybody that's been watching the show. And, and I hope that, uh, you know, this will help encourage others to, to get, you know, help when they need that help. And, you know, to honor those eight men that were killed, not me, not the shiny metal winners, the eight men that were killed. And then uh, also, you know, those that are, that are taking their lives because they don't know where to get help. They're, they're stuck. And, and we need to get them unstuck and get them where they need to go. So let's 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 all do it for the big win. Let's all get those guys and gals taken care of and get them where they need to go. So we don't have to bury another person that decided to take their life because they just didn't know where to go. So that's that's my mission in life. That's what I'm going to continue to do. Mr. Carey, we love you very much. Thank you for everything I that you're doing. I love you guys. Thank you you're, so much. Guys, you're awesome. I'm, we're going to let you continue on with your show. Yeah, and, we're going to uh, go. We'll and it's, you. Talk it, to you again soon. it's tomorrow. National Blueberry Cobbler Day is tomorrow, so celebrate it appropriately. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Good night, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Right. Thank you so good much. Night. Good night. Thank you. Okay, there's our first podcast after action report in Cocktails in the War Room. Now, that Cocktails in the War Room date was July 7th of 2020. In the description of this After Action Report, you'll have the YouTube link so you can go back and watch Cocktails in the War Room. There's also going to be a link for a corresponding playlist. Every podcast episode has one. It's music we talked about in the podcast episode and also music that reminds me of the guest or maybe some of the things that we talked about in that episode. And then, of course, there's also a link to the actual podcast episode. So if you missed it, you can go back and check it out. This is also where I ask you to subscribe to the podcast. It's also where I ask you to give it a five-star review and leave a comment. It's only helping the podcast grow, and I hope that you join us live 
each and every Tuesday night at 8.30 Boston time, live on my Facebook page. Consider yourself cordially invited as a member of the family and a member of the War Room. Don't forget new podcast episodes every Wednesday, and you'll find out on Tuesday nights in the War Room who the next week's episode is. You can find me on Twitter and YouTube at Mistress Carrie and on Facebook and Instagram, especially on Tuesday nights at Mistress Carrie WAF. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.